0: In Southeast AgNet's Ag and Review for the week ending July 22nd, dry conditions are being found across parts of the Southeast, and due to that, nitrate poisoning in cattle is a growing threat. Dr. Cam Molonex, Auburn University Extension Beef Cattle Specialist, says drought increases the chance for livestock forages to develop elevated nitrate levels. This
1: year we've seen drier conditions, particularly in the northern part of Alabama, and what that's led to is low soil moisture conditions combined with high temperatures and low humidity, which can lead to a forage shortage. And so a lot of times in those situations, we see in particular with people who may be growing summer annual forages that that creates a situation where we can have nitrate accumulation.
0: Dr. Mullinex says livestock producers should have their forages nitrate levels tested.
1: Typically, we would ask producers to submit a forage analysis to a regional forage testing lab. So whether that's forage that's being actively grazed or that that has been harvested as hay, they can submit those forages as a sample to any of those regional testing labs for a nitrate toxicity test. Um, and the information they will get back will give them some information or feedback on the levels of the nitrates that could be in that forage and whether it could be toxic to their cattle.
0: To learn more, just contact your county extension agent. Uh, USDA's National Agriculture Statistics Service will be releasing the results of a new survey this fall. Jim Ewing, director of the Southeast Region for NASS, says this one is a locally grown marketing survey. Well, this will be farmers and ranchers who indicated to us in the census of agriculture that they did produce and market locally. And this is something new for us. We're trying to capture how much food is being locally grown and marketed. And that information will be coming out this fall. Again, a new area for us, been a tremendous interest in this area, so we're anxious to see what those results are going to show. He said while it's not all about fruits and vegetables, that will be a big part of it. It certainly will. Fruits and vegetables and then perhaps honey, some of the other commodities. We're just anxious to see what that's all going to bear out. And Ewing wants to thank farmers who do participate in their surveys. Let me take an opportunity just to thank our farmers and ranchers here in the southeast. We appreciate all that you do day in and day out. And we appreciate you responding to our surveys when called upon. We couldn't put out 400 reports every year without the voluntary cooperation of our producers. I just want to say thanks. In other news, many are keeping a close watch on stocks of peanuts, and Tyron Spearman has a look at some of the many issues affecting those numbers.
2: USDA issued their crop estimate this past week, and they say the U.S. peanut crop this year will be about 3,062,500 tons. That's if we get rain across the belt soon. That is based on harvesting 1,531,000 acres of peanuts and averaging 4,001 pounds per acre, or two tons. The Indian stocks or carry forward would then be estimated at about 1,455,000 tons. That's slightly less than last month. But USDA estimates show that domestic food use for peanuts will increase 2.3% in the U.S. And exports are predicted to go down 3.4% this year after a 30% increase from last year's crop. That 30% increase has gotten some of the supplies down, but it's not showing up in USDA numbers. If realized, exports this year would be a record 1.4 billion pounds, 700,000 tons more exports than ever before, Be mainly because of buying peanuts in China. I'm Tyron Spriman for Southeast Agnet.
0: With this week's Georgia Grow Moment, here's Nathan Wilson. For this week's Georgia Grow Moment, Carl Zimmer, CEO and president of Premium Peanut, discusses their new shelling operation in Douglas, Georgia.
1: Premium Peanut is a, is a new peanut shelling operation. The company was formed about a year and a half ago. A group of local growers and buying points came together and decided to, uh, to build a shelling plant. We've built what we believe is, is the largest peanut shelling facility in the world.
0: Mr. Zimmer touches on the important role Georgia Grown has played at premium.
1: And I think it's important to us because one of the things we've been able to do is gain increased visibility throughout the, our entire supply chain. And I think Georgia Grown just just fits right in with that because our grower owners are all growing in Georgia. And one of the missions of of the company is to create stability in the marketplace for them. I think it just fits right into that strategy of we know who's growing for us, we know where raw material peanuts are coming from, and they're 100% Georgia Grown peanuts.
0: For more information, visit www.premiumpeanutllc.com. For Georgia Grown, I'm Nathan Wilson. Well, while there have been some scattered showers, as we mentioned earlier, it's been somewhat of a dry summer thus far for many folks here in the southeast. So Kathy Isom tells us about some plants that can make your garden thrive with very little water.
3: Not every plant requires everyday watering. For example, some cherry tomato varieties known as early girl, black crim, and Brandywine. One of the secrets to their sweet and unique flavor is to not overwater, especially in the first month of planting. There's also the prickly pear cactus, probably one of the easiest fruits you'll ever grow. As long as it comes into contact with a sunny patch of soil, you'll have a mature cactus in a few years' time with no irrigation needed. Fava beans, also known as broad beans, can grow in very cool weather. In mild climates like California and the Deep South, They're planted in fall and harvested in early spring, surviving on the moisture held in the cool soil through the winter. Pomegranates appreciate a good soaking every six weeks, although they can survive on less frequent irrigation. And many grape varieties are similar to pomegranates in that they need very little irrigation to get started. Once their roots are anchored deeply in the soil, the vines will produce abundantly for a couple of decades or more. I'm Kathy Isom, Southeast Agnet.
0: And to wrap up this week's podcast, Ever Grinder talks about bad weather here in 2016 and how it's been unusually hard on crops.
4: Well, the weather's been unusually difficult for farmers and everybody else in our central plain state this year. Spring is always a hard time of the year for farmers, but, well, this year was worse than normal. Some say the worst ever. First cutting of hay will be very costly to livestock farmers. If you remember, in late May, 20 tornadoes in a single day. They're all bad, but some of these were especially destructive. And up to 20 inches of rain in one day? See what that did to young crops. But part of being a farmer is to be able to survive and recover. Through Texas, Oklahoma, into Kansas, and Nebraska, 2016 has been more than a normal amount of destructive weather this year. Maybe the rest of the year we'll see an improvement. At least it isn't likely to be any worse. And that's Ag Review for today. Everett Griner, Southeast Agnet.
0: Those reports and more from this past week can be found on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast Agnet.